Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. Today's lesson is from a series of messages that I preached originally at Grace Bible Church in Warren, Michigan last year for their annual Bible conference. My family and I had a great time of Bible study and fellowship with Pastor Tom Bruchet and the rest of the saints there at Grace Bible Church. And I think you'll find this to be an edifying series of lessons as we examine the divine institutions that God lays out in his word, starting right in the very first chapters of the book of Genesis. Now we're going to talk about the, the, the last of those divine institutions that we're going to discuss, which is that of civil government. And you know, each of the institutions flows one from another, right? We've seen that with, with each of them. And each, really, each of those institutions gains its, its strength in a, you know, in a godly sense. It gains its strength from the institutions that come before it. And so, you know, individuals exercising their volition to the glory of God, that builds strong marriages, strong families. Those, in turn, build strong churches, and all of those together build strong nations. And, um, the, you know, when we look at our at our nation today, and certainly we can see many faults and many problems there, but most of those problems don't begin with government. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of times we look at problems in society and our immediate reaction is to think there ought to be a law, right? There ought to be a law. The government ought to do something about that. And, and really, very often, the problem is not with this, this institution of civil government that we're going to look at this morning, but the problem is back with with you know, families and, and uh, in those areas. But we want to see what is the purpose of civil government, uh, what is the role that God would have them to play, as we've done with the other institutions. And I want you to turn to Romans chapter 13. Romans 13 is one of those key chapters in your Bible. Uh, and it deals with this issue of, of uh, authority and the authority of government. Uh, it's interesting that it's in chapter 13. You know, the number 13 in your Bible is a, a number of rebellion. And uh, very often, pay, pay attention to this in your own study, notice how often that, that you know, the 13th chapter or the 13th verse uh, will have to do with rebellion. The... Um, I was thinking about I was thinking about Samson. You know, Samson was one of the judges, and you read about Samson's life, and Samson was not a very good guy. He was the thirteenth judge. You know, but uh, just just a, a pattern you might notice in in your Bible. But it's interesting that this would be in chapter thirteen uh, here, talking about the the proper the proper uh, respect and and submission that's due to government. And in Romans chapter 13, verse 1, it says, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. 
For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same, for he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger, to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore ye must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For for this cause pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. And so here in, in uh, chapter 13 of Romans, it, it talks about being subject to the higher powers. Now, as with any kind of authority that God has, has established, when it, says, it doesn't say just be subject to powers, it says be subject to the higher powers, right? And, and understand that always an individual's first duty and responsibility is to be subject to God, all right? Now, there's other authorities in all of those institutions that, that we've talked about. There's authority in marriage, there's authority in the family, there's authority in the local church, and there's authority in government. But, but always remember that God calls you to be subject to the higher powers. And sometimes, sometimes uh, those authorities come into conflict. Now, when that takes place, you render subjection to the higher power. Uh, when you come through God's word, nothing in this passage should be, should be um, deemed to, to in any way infringe upon God's authority. And you find over and over again that we are to obey God rather than man. When authorities come into conflict and, and when some human authority comes into conflict with the authority of God, you obey God. Now, there may be consequences to doing that, right? There may be very serious consequences to doing that, but your, your duty is to obey God rather than man. But you see here in this passage that there is, a, there is a, a, a subjection that is due to government powers. God has established civil government. When we, when we introduced these divine institutions, we saw how after the flood, uh, God had told Noah, Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. So there you have sort of the, the rudiments of government that... Their man would have the authority even to take another man's life, right, uh, to, to revenge evil. And, and here in Romans chapter 13, it lays out really what the responsibility of civil government is. Um, you see in, in uh, verse 4, it says, For he is the minister of God to thee for good, but if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. There you have the responsibility of human government. All right, now you have these other institutions that, that help to you know, shape they help to shape man's, man's uh, uh, volition, man's free will. They help to place some social constraints upon how we exercise our, our free will. But the last of these divine institutions has the authority even to bear the sword, even to, to cut off human life in order to 
revenge. It says here to, to revenge or a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. And so uh, where, where many of these other institutions are, very, you know, we willingly participate in them and, and they're more about shaping volition. Civil government is the last of these Genesis institutions. Civil government, when all of that fails... And, and someone is out there and they're doing, you know, certain acts of evil, there is a power that's vested with authority, even the authority to take that life when necessary. That's the authority that God's granted with government. Now, we've talked about how all of these institutions became corrupted because they're made up of corrupt individuals. They're made up of, of sinners who have a sin nature, whether it be, you know, families or whether it be even, even the church, right? And, and uh, these institutions became corrupted. It, it, it's no less true of civil government. All right, now, now understand that God, I want you to go back to, um, uh, go to Acts, go to, go to the book of Acts and chapter 17. When God created Adam and Eve, and in the very early chapters of the book of Genesis, you have Adam and Eve and their children. Now remember that, that uh, Adam lived to be over 900 years old. I mean, imagine how many generations Adam was able to see of his children and, and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren, you know, uh, in 900 years. But uh, in the very early chapters of the book of Genesis, you don't have a need for any kind of civil government because, because you know, family was really what the government was. Adam is the, the head of that family, the head of that household. He, he ruled over that household. But as man began to spread out on the earth, and as you began to, you got farther and farther away from that common ancestor, uh, there comes a need for a different kind of government, something beyond just, just family authority. And one of the, one of the statements ha- we begin to see when you get into, especially into Genesis chapter 11, chapter 10 and 11, you begin to see man dividing into nations. All right, now especially at the Tower of Babel, where God divides up the languages, men are kind of forced to divide up into nations. And God did that for, for uh, some very important reasons. Here in Acts 17, it describes in verse 26, it says that God hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth. So first of all, he says God has made of one blood all nations of men. You know, the idea, really, really even the idea of different races, it, that's something that's foreign to Scripture that there are different races of men. That's a, that's a man-made idea to, to divide people up, all right? There, there aren't different races of men. There's, God's made of one blood, all men, uh, upon the earth. But it says that he has determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. Man is one blood, but man is divided up into nations. And there are boundaries, there are bounds of those nations, And verse 27 tells you, uh, part of why God did that, it says that they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. Now, before man was divided up into nations, now God had told told man to to multiply and replenish the earth, and they they were to fill the earth, but 
They didn't do that. Instead, they all, they all kind of gathered together. And they gathered together not, not so that they could worship God. They gathered together at Babel in disobedience to God. Right? They were going to build a tower, they said, whose top may reach unto heaven. Now, I don't think when the Bible says that, that they literally thought, you know, they were going to, going to build a tower up into heaven where God dwells. But what they were doing is they were building a religious building through which they could get to heaven. And, and man has done this wherever man has gone. They've done the same thing. You can go into, into uh, Mexico and see the pyramids that they've built there, or, or of course the great pyramids in Egypt. Uh, in fact, even, even here in the Midwest, uh, we can see the Native Americans built these mounds, these mound pyramids, and the priests would live on top, and they would do rituals and things on top of that, that mound, on top of that tower, that they thought would get them to heaven. And man comes together there at, at Babel under Nimrod, and they, they form that kingdom, and they're going to build that tower and that's going to reach to heaven and they're going to make a name for themselves and God intervenes and he says, no, I'm going to split everybody up. When everybody gets together as one, they do it in disobedience to God. You know, we see the world inevitably moving and scripture tells us that eventually all men will be together again under one government. Uh, of course, far enough in the future, they'll all be together under, under the government of Christ himself. But before that time comes, men are going to gather themselves together under one government, and it's going to be that of the Antichrist, right? The, and that'll be the same kind of thing as what you had back in Babel. But God splits up the nations. He intervenes there by, by making it so they can't understand one another. And he splits up those nations. And, and it says here that he determined the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord. Because when they were all together, they weren't seeking the Lord, but he splits them up. Now, you know, when there's only one nation on the earth and only one, one government on the earth, and it's in rebellion against God, if you're a believer there, you don't have anywhere to go to escape it. In the Antichrist kingdom, there's going to be very, very few places that the believers can go, except that God's going to supernaturally protect them. Um, but outside of that, they would have no place they can go to, to escape that. And so God splits men up into nations to divide up the power so that, so that you can't get one man or, or you know, one government having too much power. And so he divides them up. And so if you're in this nation and this nation is persecuting believers, you can flee to another one where that's not the case. And, uh, and so he divides up men. Now, now even there he says that they should seek the Lord if happily they might feel after him and find him. And, and the idea you have there among the nations just, just left to themselves is sort of a blind man in a dark room groping around trying to, trying to find whatever he can. They can feel after him and, and find him, right? Understand that, that just separating men up into nations didn't, didn't make it easy for them to find God, but it made it so that, that when God would give his word and when eventually he took and set up one nation, the nation of Israel, and he gave them his word. Now they weren't just groping around to feel after him. Now he had revealed himself to them. But even there he describes Israel and how the Gentile nations would come to God through Israel because he would shine his light on Israel and the Gentiles would come to the, the brightness of that shining. Right? So God divides up those, those nations. He divides them up at, at uh, Babel and then he very quickly 
takes a man named Abraham and tells him not only that he's going to be the father of many nations, but that there's a great nation that was going to come from Abraham, and that's that nation of Israel. And God deals with that nation. He sets aside all the other nations on the earth, and he deals with that nation of Israel in order to, to give them his word, in order for his light to shine on them. And as the Gentiles saw that, they could, they could come to it. And you have those Gentiles through the Old Testament that did come to that light. Uh, you can think about Gentiles like Naaman the Syrian who heard that there was a prophet in Israel that could heal his leprosy. You think about the Queen of Sheba who heard of the greatness of Solomon's kingdom and came and, and said that the reality was even greater than what she had heard and came to worship the Lord God of Israel. Uh, even as God began to punish Israel and sent them into captivity, their own captors would come to see that, that the God of Israel was the true God. Nebuchadnezzar, really the fourth chapter of the book of Daniel, is written by King Nebuchadnezzar giving his testimony about how he came to see that the Lord God of Israel was the one true God. And, and you have these Gentiles that came to the brightness of that light. And God used governments, not just the government of Israel, but the governments of the Gentiles. Uh, he used that government of Nebuchadnezzar, for instance, to work his will upon the nation of Israel. Right? And, and uh, he, when, it, when it tells us in Romans 13 that God has ordained the powers that be, go back to Romans chapter 13. He says, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Now that's what we've seen in these institutions, is we've seen God. All the power begins with God. That's, that's the only place any power, any authority can come from. But we see God in these divine institutions delegating power to various individuals in various relationships. He delegates to man, volition, the power to make choices. He delegates power in marriage, and there's, and there's authority structures in marriage with headship and submission. He delegates power to parents in the family, and he delegates power to civil government to do certain things. Now, all of those authorities have limitations upon that power. None of them is absolute. Uh, a, a father doesn't have absolute authority over his family. He doesn't have authority to, to take the lives of his children, for instance, as you see government has authority to, to take lives under certain circumstances. Right? Each of the authorities is defined and it has its proper jurisdiction. Now, when you mess up those jurisdictions of the, the, this divine order of institutions that God's established, you wind up with problems. Okay, so if, uh, if, if, for instance, you know, an, an authority in the church who has authority in that local church, but they're going to intrude upon the authority that a, a husband has with his wife, that, that's going to cause problems. And, and likewise, when civil government steps out of, outside of the authority God's granted to them, and they're going to intrude in other areas, it causes problems. Now, one of the things that we see because of the strength of the power of civil government that God has granted to them, I mean, it's really the most powerful of these institutions in the fact that it has the power even to take life. Um, what we see over time is that, that all of these institutions wind up being handed over 
to the last of them, which is civil government. Now, the way these are designed to operate, because each institution flows from the others that come before it, the way it's designed to operate is that, that each institution would respect the authorities of, of the others, right? That, that first institution of volition, while all of the others are there to shape that volition, they're not there to, to violate volition. It's not as if, for instance, that, that uh, in marriage, that a wife, by being subject to her husband, doesn't mean she gives up her volition. doesn't ma- mean she no longer has a will of her own. Um, you know, and, and it's an important thing for those, especially those that are in the positions of authority, that though, for husbands, for fathers, to respect the volition of those people that are under that authority, to, to not think that you're going to make every decision for them, but to respect the fact they as individuals, there's an institution that, that applies to them as well, and to respect those things. But what happens over time, and it, and it happens, I mean, it's happened over and over again in history, is that all of these divine institutions wind up becoming just, you know, state institutions, really, is, is what happens. Um, here he says that, that we're to be subject to the higher powers. There is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Now, the powers are ordained of God. The authority is ordained of God. This doesn't mean that the Bible doesn't teach the, the, the old teaching of the divine right of kings. Okay, uh, The divine right of kings was that the king, since he's, they would even use this passage, since he's been ordained by God, he has absolute power. All right? That, that, you know, the, the king or the, the government authority has absolute power. He's not subject to any law, and that's because he's ordained by God. That's not what you see taught in the Bible. And you see many times where actually the, the proper response of a believer under certain circumstances is to disobey kings. He doesn't have absolute power. When Daniel disobeys the order of the king, that, he's, that for 30 days nobody's to pray to anybody except the king, and he just does as he always had done, and he goes up into, his, into the tower with the windows open, and he prays to the Lord God, he's, he's not doing that out of rebellion to the king. Sometimes when an authority tells you you can't do something, now you say, I'm, I'm going to show you, and I'm going to do it. And you do it out of, out of rebellion, and it was something that you wouldn't have done otherwise, but because somebody told you you couldn't, you're going to do it. Um, some people are that way with issues like prayer in school, and they never ever thought to pray in school before somebody told them they couldn't. Now I'm going to pray in school, and I'm going to show them. Now that's, that's rebellion, right? Now, you know, if you were praying in school before that, and somebody says you can't, and you continue to pray in school because you're... you're Obeying God, you know, that's probably not rebellion. But, but um, he says to be subject to, to the higher powers. And he says that whosoever resisteth, in verse 2, whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. We need to be very careful about issues of civil government to make sure that we are not disobeying the command here to make sure that we're not being rebellious toward an institution that God has ordained and since their power comes from God to resist their legitimate power is 
to resist God, to resist God himself. So, so what is the legitimate power of government? What things do they have the power to rule on? It tells you in verse 3 that rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. He says, Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. Uh, it says in verse 4, that he's the minister of God for thee, to thee for good, that he, he bears the sword, he's that revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Government is involved with matters of justice. Now, biblical justice is different from how people describe justice oftentimes today. You hear people, people today talk about social justice. All right, now social justice has nothing to do with any kind of biblical justice. Uh, when, usually when people talk about social justice, they're talking about how to use the force of government to distribute the resources of society equally to, to everyone. That's what they're talking about. The, biblical justice doesn't really concern itself with that. Biblical justice concerns itself with when, when damage has been done, all right, when one person's actions have caused damage to another, how do we set that right? All right, that's, that's biblical justice. Now, when we're talking about matters of civil government, understand we're, we're not just talking about, we're not talking about justice in the eternal sense, okay? That's, that's God's domain. That's, God's going to determine that for the lost person at the great white throne, and he's going to render justice in the eternal sense. But we're talking about justice in the temporal sense. And mostly that justice has to do, again, with, with some damage or some hurt or some cost that one person might cause toward another and setting that right. And, that, and the force of civil government is there to bring about that justice. Biblical justice is retributive. Now, what I mean by that is, is it's, it's about retribution. You see, it says that he's a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. The, the role of government is to come in after a wrong has been committed. If someone's murdered somebody, a wrong has been committed, the role of government is to come in and to execute justice. If there's been a theft that's been committed, uh, it's the role of government to come in and, and uh, make sure that restitution is paid. The Old Testament law, uh, there, you know, there's different, there's different types of commandments in the Old Testament law, right? Some of them are moral commandments, and, and you realize that the law as a, as a standard of personal righteousness by which somebody might, might try to obtain eternal life, it's, it's impossible. You can't do it. You can't keep the law. But, but the law, you have moral commandments in the law. Not every commandment in the law, not everything that is evil, ought to be a crime under the, under the authority of civil government. Okay, so you think, for instance, of the, the Ten Commandments. Uh, there's the commandment that says, thou shalt not covet. Okay, now to covet is an immoral thing. It's, a, it's disobedience of that commandment. It's, it's immoral to covet. But coveting just by itself is not a crime because just because I covet something you have doesn't mean that I've caused any damage to you where there's a role for civil government to come in and set it right. Now, if my covetousness causes me to steal something from you, now, you know, the, the covetousness was immoral. The stealing is also immoral, but the, but the stealing is also 
a crime now. Now there is a place for civil government to come in. And since I stole from you, there's a place for civil government to take something away from me and give it back to you to make right what was stolen. Okay. Now, one of the things that we see happening more and more with civil government is instead of it being retributive, instead of it coming in after the fact and, and executing retribution and, and uh, ensuring restitution, what we see is government trying to, trying to stop wrong from committing, being committed in advance. Okay? And, and many of the laws that we are under are that kind of thing. They're trying to, trying to stop it in advance. You think about what, uh, why is there a speed limit on the, on the highway? Um, you know, presumably it's to avoid accidents, uh, avoid loss of life that one person might, might uh, cause to someone else. But you see how that's trying to stop something in advance. It's not coming in after the fact, after there's actually been some, some wrong committed. It's not coming in after the fact and setting it right. It's, it's uh, you know, trying to stop it in advance. And, and what, that, what that usually winds up being is it, 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 it winds up being man kind of thinking he can do better than God. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.